1: Hello everyone, I am CP Leslie, the host of New Books in Historical Fiction, a podcast channel in the New Books Network. Today I am speaking with Kate Braithwaite about The Girl Puzzle, her third novel. I interviewed Kate back in 2016 when she reached out to me not long before she published her first novel, Charlatan. That book, set in the court of Louis XIV of France during the notorious Affair of the Poisons, which came close to implicating even the king's former mistress, Madame de Montespan, was a wonderfully rich and gritty exploration of the highs and lows of life in 17th century Paris. Kate then moved in fictional terms from there to London, but around the same time with The Road to Newgate. But in this latest work, she has journeyed much closer to the present, portraying the well-known journalist Nellie Bly both in middle age and during her first extraordinary, in every sense of the word, assignment for the major New York newspaper, The World. May 20th, 1921 A middle-aged lady walks out of Ligonwatt's orphan house in Yonkers, New York, holding hands with a small child. This child, a girl, is eight years old. But she's thin and small, most likely as a result of her recent illness. The lady whose hand she holds is smartly dressed in a long navy velvet coat with a fur collar. She wears a particularly fine cloche hat, trimmed with gold filigree. The child's eyes widen a fraction as she takes in the lady's shiny black model T. Ford, and her tall driver. She holds her breath as he removes his cap and opens the door for them to climb inside. The engine is running, loud to her unaccustomed ears. They speed down the winding driveway through tall iron gates and out into the world. There, Dorothy, says the lady, smiling broadly and rubbing the child's long fingers. What do you think of it? I am kidnapping you today. She has always had a captivating smile. That's all right with me, says Dorothy. I'd go anywhere with you. And now, please join me in welcoming Kate Braithwaite. Hi, Kate. I'm really looking forward to talking with you again. Hi, hi. Good to talk to you. We've already traced your path toward becoming a novelist, and readers who'd like to hear that story can search for your name on our website. So rather than go over the basics again, I'd like to pick up where we left off. Um, As I mentioned just now, in 2018, you published The Road to Newgate. What can you tell us about the second novel? So uh, my second novel is is set in the same
0: time period as my first novel, in the 17th century, but in London rather than in France. And it's really the story of three people who are living in a a very difficult time, a time of upheaval, um, a time when a man has appeared in London and announced that there's a huge Catholic plot to kill Charles II. And my three characters are really a husband and wife and their friend and the husband doesn't believe in the story of this plot. And the book is about how he sets about proving that Titus Oates is a liar and what that means for his wife and what it means for their friend who has a back history with Titus Oates. So that's the story. is kind of a murder mystery thriller, but very much based in true factual events.
1: And it's a big leap from there to the late 19th, early 20th century. What made you decide to write about Nellie Bly? Well, It's kind
0: of, you know, you wonder what makes you decide to write about anything. It's it's such a a bizarre decision. But um, the thing of the the three of them, the three books so far, is they're all things that I knew nothing about, things that I've come across as an adult that I had never heard of. I'd never heard of Nellie Bly until maybe six or seven years ago. Um, I came across an article about her and about how she had um, gone into a madhouse and reported from the inside. And I was just amazed by that. I would find that something very challenging to do in the early 21st century never mind at the end of the 19th century so I researched her and and she was the kind of person I would like to read a book about so that was why I wrote a book about her
1: and tell us about her as a personality um you know what particularly about her appeal to besides the fact that she did this thing with the madhouse which we're going to get to in more detail
0: Sure. Well, I mean, she's obviously very brave. You know, she was very young. I think I was very struck by how young she was. She was 23, I think, at the time when she went into the madhouse. Um, And she, you know, she changed conditions for women. She's an important historical figure. But she also um, was quite a quirky personality. She um, had contradictions. You know, she had very strong opinions about things. but wasn't always consistent in how she behaved, you know, how she carried through those opinions. She was she was a feminist, but she very strongly believed that women should be well-dressed and had no made no bones about saying that. She went to, you know, it was the time of suffragette beginning and everything, and she would go to conventions and report on how badly dressed the women were and how inappropriate that was. You know, they ought to use every tool in their toolbox. So... She uh, yeah, she's just she was very outspoken. She would say what she thought. She didn't really back down, and that I think that makes for her an interesting character.
1: So the framework of the book is that Nellie, who's now in her mid fifties, uh, has hired a young secretary named Beatrice, and is sharing the tale of Nellie's own first break as a journalist when she was, as you mentioned, twenty three. But even before this part of the story begins, um, that is the earlier part of the story as Elizabeth Cochran, Nellie was already a journalist. So what brought her to New York? Um, I'm not asking for the whole story, because that gets revealed over the course of the novel, but what you set up in the beginning. So yes, yeah, she was a journalist. She was a journalist in Pittsburgh, um, uh, working for the Pittsburgh, Dis- Pittsburgh
0: Dispatch. And she, you know, she'd um, gained her job there. She'd gone to Mexico, in fact, for six months with her mother, and uh, reported from there she didn't just want to be the kind of um, social reporter, the reporter of what people were at weddings. She was, you know, adventurous, and she wanted to make it in New York, in the big time. She she wasn't getting the opportunities she wanted in Pittsburgh, um, New York. You know, then as as now was the centre of journalism, and she wanted to be at the centre of everything. So she, uh, you know, scribbled a note to her editor and said she was going to New York and set off by herself to uh, try and get a job, a newspaper role.
1: And what does she find when she gets there? Why is she so desperate for this job with uh, Pulitzer? Well, when she when she gets there, she can't get a job. So I think she went in maybe the
0: May, I would say, of 1887. And by August, she's running out of money. And she doesn't have the job. She can't hardly get her foot in the door. In fact, the only way she gets her foot in the door of these editors' offices is by deciding to write an article about what it's like to be a woman journalist trying to get a job. And there's a fantastic article that she wrote that was in the Pittsburgh Gazette, dispatch rather, um, where she's interviewed these these editors and they're saying, well, we can't have women because they can't go to nasty crime scenes. We can't have women because they can't run down the stairs. They will put off the men in the newsroom. Um, so there was a huge prejudice against women journalists. There were women journalists, but what they were, what it was believed they could do was very limited. So she uh, couldn't get a job. She was having to send articles back to Pittsburgh, and she was running out of money. And finally, she was actually robbed. So I've made that as part of the novel at the beginning. Um, but she, she did certainly run out of money. Her purse was stolen, and she, if she didn't get a job, she was going to have to go home. And she wasn't a person that wanted to go home you know she was a person that wanted to finish what she started and achieve her objectives so
1: you know I'm listening to you talk and I think in some ways it's changed so much for women working right and in some ways people are still saying (laughs) the same things I know. Well, there's, there's, a, there's an episode much
0: later in her life, which, is, which isn't in the novel, but in, in 1913, she reported on Woodrow Wilson being inaugurated, and she went up on the platform just before the inauguration in D.C. and looked out, and she writes in her report, in her newspaper article, how she stood there and wondered if there would ever be a female president. Ah, And I just, you know... <laughs> Yeah. We won't we see any more.
1: You know, right. that, that was in 1913 and now were in 2019. So, Some it's things still a changed question. and others not. Right. Yeah. So this is very much journalism on the ground. What Nellie wants to do is go to Europe and return in steerage with immigrants so she can write about the immigrant experience, which is another current theme, as it turns out firsthand. Um, Pulitzer rejects that option, but then he proposes this, what seems on a the surface, even riskier proposition for a young woman, um, this thing about going to Blackwell's Island and the insane asylum. So w- why does he do that? There had been, I mean, that was something I researched. There had been articles in
0: other newspapers, as one in the New York Times I have, um, of people um complaining about the asylums. There were a series of asylums around New York on on the different islands. There was one on Ward Island, the one on Black Rose Island. And there was, you know, there were, every so often there would be reports coming out of abuses in the island. Um, people die, you know, there was a de- terrible death rate or people would be released and talk about the conditions. And so Pulitzer, who was, you know, finger on the pulse at the time, the man of the people, um, trying to create a, a paper for the people, things they would be interested in that, that was this kind of story that was right up his interest alley. It's not very clear who actually thought of it, but I don't think that she did. I'm fairly sure that he did, or his editor did. And so they proposed that Nellie would get herself committed to the asylum for an actually an unspecified amount of time, but they did promise to get her out, and then she could report from in from the inside of the
1: women's asylum in Blackwell's Island. And that turns out to be rather a challenge for her to get herself committed. How does she go about it? It's it's, it's a challenge, but it's one that she actually accomplished very quickly. I mean, literally that same day, she
0: went home, she practiced in the mirror, she thought about what it would be like to be mad. She stayed up all night, she put on terrible clothes, and she checked herself into a temporary home for women. And on the very next evening, um, acted so erratically and strangely and disturbingly that the, um, the matron of the home in the morning called the police and the police took her before a magistrate and she acted insane enough to be sent first to Bellevue Hospital.
1: And what does she find there at Bellevue?
0: So Bellevue is her first, you know, moment where she's really done it. She's, she's in it now, she can't, she can't get out of it. She's taken there um, in an ambulance she starts to feel at that point really the personal risk that she's putting herself at. The, the ambulance driver is overly familiar with her. She's then in a room with other women um, who, you know, she doesn't think they're all mad. But, you know, she is now with lunatics. There's a doctor there who visits her in the night uh, in her room. So so that's really where she starts to feel the, the personal danger that she's put herself at. She also thinks the food is terrible, which is a great theme of her of hers when you read her reports on it. She finds out that asylum life is not comfortable. It's scary and um but she's done it now, so there she is.
1: Does she regret that she accepted it? I mean she did it obviously because she needed the job, but even so, I mean that's quite a um an assignment to take on. I mean, you feel that she must have done
0: it because the thing that was sort of the main interest for me to fictionalize the story is when you read her reports. So from after she was released, she's writing them as a journalist reporting on what she found there. She doesn't go into really how she felt about it because that's not her job. And so my kind of interest was looking at her and her character and yes, she's, She does this, and yes, she does succeed. But how did it feel while she was doing it? You know, she didn't actually know when they would come. The days were interminably long and challenging. So I think, you know, she must have gone through a process. And and this book, you know, records my imagining of of what it must have been like for her.
1: From Bellevue, she is sent to Blackwell's Island, um, which is the center of the story, her experience there. And the conditions in the insane asylum here in 1887 are shocking. I mean, not always distinguishable even from what your characters in um, Charlatan or The Road to Newgate might have encountered. So, you know, make yourself comfortable. Don't go further into the plot than you want to go. But tell us in general what she encountered yeah so I mean, so these are early days of of institutions
0: for mental illness. People had a very limited understanding of mental illness um many of the people there were not mentally ill. there would be uh many of them were immigrants who didn't have family, couldn't speak the language, appeared confused and erratic um There were men who who had their women committed if they were inconvenient. It was a time when these institutions were being developed. There were grand buildings. Um, There was obviously an understanding that people needed hospitals and mental institutions. So so the building itself, which is still on Roosevelt's Island part of it, is is a very grand, grey stone building. But almost as soon as it had opened, it was overcrowded. Um, So there were far too many women, there were far few too few staff the staff were not well paid they were not well trained um many of them were illiterate so you had you know illiterate young women dealing with other women who maybe couldn't speak the language or you know were ill rather than mentally ill so it was a just a horrible place there wasn't enough money the food was poor um the doctors that there were were not always kind Um, and we're not always trained, so it's, you know, it's a very unpleasant environment that she found herself in.
1: Nellie does, however, establish a kind of friendship, relationship anyway, um, with one of the doctors. Can you tell us a bit about him? Yes, so there was one doctor called Frank Ingram
0: who, um, while he thought that she was mad and believed, you know, believed that she was the patient in the right place and was trying to do The right thing he did listen he did have conversations with her um he did dance with the patients in one of the halls um where they were trying to have you know they did try and have music it wasn't it wasn't all you know women shackled on benches or anything like that and he and he was a sympathetic character to her someone that she did have contact with after she left the asylum so he was kind of like the bright spot if you like and there were there were rumors um unsubstantiated really but rumours afterwards in the press that there might have been a relationship there so that was something that, that I've explored in the story a little bit.
1: She has uh, several friends um, and enemies uh, within the asylum. Uh, can you tell us something about them?
0: Yes, yeah, so her main her main friends are uh, Anne Neville who she meets in Bellevue um, who she believes is sane, who seems sane. She's someone who's worked as a, a chambermaid in a big hotel in New York and has says she's fallen ill and her family have have pushed her into this asylum, and then there's a, a younger girl called Tilly who um, has been unwell. Um, difficult to say what was really, um, but you know has been unwell and is weak, and she believes that her family is going to come for her. Uh, N- uh, Nellie doesn't think that either of them are insane. But as, as time goes on, in the in the time that she's in the asylum, Tilly's condition deteriorates, and she begins to feel that all the people that are coming to visit Nellie Bly, or Nellie Brown as she's called in the asylum, because she's been in the newspapers, are really ought to are really looking for her, and that Nellie is kind of coming between Tilly and and her hope of freedom. So there's a great kind of tension occurs there,
1: and there are people that she does that Nellie doesn't get along with as well. There are, yes. Um, so th- there's particularly one woman who befriends
0: um, Anne, who she doesn't get on with, who's very religious. Um, and there are some of the nurses who she does have and did have, you know, direct confrontations with. Um, and I think one of the challenges she had was, was she her nature was to confront, to speak up, Um, but, you know, there were real violent consequences for people who did. There were women who would be shut up in rooms, they would be sent to those two areas called the lodge and the um, retreat, where violent prisoners were, where they're not washed, they're shackled, they're um, screaming, you know, very violent. So she had to kind of curb some of her natural inclination to argue with With some of the less pleasant staff and and patients because, you know, she wanted to get out of there in one piece.
1: Yes, it's a kind of conundrum too, because at least my understanding is because the Victorian view of women was so limited that... I I remember reading a novel about um, Zelda Fitzgerald's time in the asylum in North Carolina, And one of the issues there was that many people thought that women who were angry and assertive and outspoken and complaining, that was evidence that they weren't mentally well put together. And so if you're then in an insane asylum where women are in fact being committed because they are angry and complaining and inconvenient, (laughs) (laughs) and that's your natural thing, and people think that you're crazy. You know it's very it's not just that she has to um accommodate herself because these people have power but the, but the more she acts like her natural self, the more they're going to be convinced that she's crazy and she shouldn't be let out. Yes, that's right once she has that label and yeah there was a there was a phenomenon of
0: hysteria. And that you know it was a medical condition, and women would regularly be hysterical, and that was uh, that was you know a problem that women had, and it was tied up with the periods, and you know if if anyone was you know something like postpartum depression, that would you know definitely put you in the category for probably hysterical and liable for institution you know, to be institutionalised. So it was it was a very difficult time to be a, a woman. Um, and especially if you were poor or if you were, you know, alone, you know, without other support or whatever.
1: So. Let's move now to the 1920s portion of the story when Nellie is in her 50s. Who is she by this time? What's important to her? So Nellie, you know, after the asylum thing, then also went around the world and became,
0: you know, massively famous. She was a huge American celebrity. There were board games made about her. There were hats sold, like Nellie Bly hats, you know, this kind of thing. But it didn't, it didn't last for her. She had quite a difficult life in many ways over the years. She suffered from depression at points. She ha- had a marriage that was surprising in some ways and not always happy. She. Did marry a millionaire though, so she was rich for a while, but she then ran after her husband died and she ran the business fairly successfully, but she did run into a lot of money problems, people embezzled money from her. She had issues with her family um, over money and support. Um, so by the time we get to the World War I, she's back being a journalist. She actually spent World War I in Austria. Reporting from the war, and then after that returned to new York and still ne- and need- needing to work, so she got a job with the New York um evening journal with a friend you know a friend of hers gave her a job, and she kind of combined writing articles with answering letters and becoming a kind of some almost an agony aunt kind of a person and that gradually morphed into helping place children in homes. People would write to her about what shall I do about this ch- with my child that I can't afford to look after. And she would help, you know, f- help adopt out children, which just seems quite... When I first, <laughs> first read about it, I was like, what? So it was, that's what she did. She ran an informal adoption agency out of her hotel suite where she lived.
1: And when the book opens, we're actually seeing her in um, contact with one of these children. Did you want to tell us anything about the child? Yeah, sure. I mean, that, and that story is a real story, and and the book starts there because um, the major biography of Nellie Bly,
0: that was written by uh, Brooke Kroger, who works at NYU, she was able to interview uh, the the character that I, the person I made into a character called Dorothy, this girl who was. Semi-adopted by Nellie Bly, definitely helped by Nellie Bly, lived with Nellie Bly in the hotel. And that, that lady who was in her 90s, I think, when, when she was interviewed, recalled a story of Nellie Bly saying to her, I'm kidnapping you today. And her, Dorothy, as a young girl, saying, that's fine by me. Because, you know, <laughs> they, they liked each other. So
1: that, you know, that really, I was very struck by that when I read about it. And that's why that's
0: the starting point for the novel.
1: Just a brief insight into Beatrice, what role does she play, other than as the receiver, for lack of a better word, of Nellie's past? So, it was important to me, having read all
0: about Nellie Bly, to show that, this, this, yes, this episode that happened to her and what she did and how she changed journalism was very important, but her life, you know, was much more than that, and um, everybody's life is more than, you know, it's the sum of the parts, it's not just the parts. and I also I saw I felt like I wanted a way to show her when she's older through someone else's eyes, or so almost like my eyes, but um through this character. And Beatrice is a working woman, a young woman, she looks up to Nellie, but she's very different from her. So she's a good kind of foil, um, for Nellie Bly because Nellie Bly was extraordinary. And I think I tried to show her extraordinariness by setting her with someone who's also likable and interesting and has her hopes and dreams, but is is a a normal person. Whereas Nellie Bly was not a normal person. Um in, in any part of her life I don't think she was a, a normal person. So Beatrice is um looks up to her, doesn't always, you know, agree with everything that Nellie Bly is doing, worries about some of the things that Nellie Bly is doing and is trying to work out what's important to her life while being influenced by this amazing older woman
1: and what can you tell us about Beatrice's character what, what's her past why is she working and what does what she like as a personality
0: I think she is um, I think she's kind of
1: unformed at
0: the beginning she's you know she's very open to the influence of Nellie Bly she's sort of She's had a quite a conservative upbringing, and Nellie has a lot of opinions, which she's writing about things like capital punishment. Nellie is is very anti-capital punishment, and Beatrice is just someone who's never really even thought about it before. So that's interesting for her. But she's more traditional than Nellie. She wants to find love. She wants you know she she meets Ernest in the book, who is involved with the adoptions, and she doesn't always agree with what he says, and she needs to kind of find her voice between these two big characters. But I think she does kind of achieve that. She worries a lot about Dorothy. Um, she's a, she's a, got a very strong moral compass. Um, but she's a quieter character than, than her flamboyant boss.
1: You mentioned that you read all about Nellie Bly. What kind of research did you do?
0: So um, I, there, there are many books about Nellie Bly. A surprising number are, are like kids' books. I don't really know why. Uh, but I read, you know, maybe ten, 10 books about Nellie Bly, particularly the Brooke Kroger book. And I read, but the first thing I read was Nellie Bly's words. And that is um really been the be- the best thing about it. So I read the, um, Into the Madhouse, two articles. Then I read The Trip to Mexico. Then I started um, talking to my library and getting other articles. I read the Women Journalist article that I was talking about earlier um, and really kind of, read read the novel that she wrote, which wasn't very great, but uh, it was readable. And so that was my main thing, her words, and then then the biographical background.
1: And having read all that, how did you take it and turn it into um, such a biographical novel? I mean, how did you get inside her head? Well, I think you hear, she has a very
0: strong voice.
1: I mean, one of the things
0: in the way that I wrote the book was I was very anxious that she had, you know, she had written about this asylum experience and everything that she wrote was in the first person. And I didn't feel that I wanted to just be someone 100 years later sitting in an office or a room pretending to be Nellie Bly. So that was kind of why the story of the past is her rev- her revisiting it later talking about herself in the third person so it's Elizabeth's story. Um, I was very interested by the fact that she had all these different names so she was pink when she was a child but her name was Elizabeth but then she became Nellie and so that played a lot into my thinking of it all and then with the later thing it's Beatrice's point of view on Nellie so in some ways I'm kind of moving around her if you like rather than taking her in the in the first person, because she's already there. But I would sit, you know, before I started writing, almost every day I would read something that she'd written. And she, she she's not always serious, and she's not always the deepest thinker in, when you read her articles. But she had a great sense of humour. She was very forthright. Um, You know, she would call a spade a spade kind of thing. And so I, I hope to kind of try and get that across in the way that I set out to do it.
1: Oh, you did. I mean, she's quite a fascinating character. And I had a real sense of her as a personality. I mean, whether she's the historical Nellie Bly, I don't know. But that doesn't really matter because it's a novel. No, agreed. I mean, I do think she is. I mean, One of the
0: things about Nellie Bly is, um, you know, there are lots of you know things like movies about her. And, and there was a Lifetime production that was on the TV just at the beginning of the year about her going in the madhouse and it's a beautiful production and the acting is really good but the story is not not the story you know and I sat down to watch it fully you know calm and ready to just enjoy it and then I'm like that's wrong and this is wrong and no that person wasn't there and why did you add that storyline that's not true and and um so she does get kind of fictionalized and I really tried not to fictionalize her actual story I mean her character is my understanding of her character but pretty much everything that happens are things
1: that happened that is the downside of research then you know what other people have got wrong <laughs> <laughs> I know
0: I know. I really hate being that person and I love the program and I wouldn't want to put anyone off watching it because it's, it's super enjoyable to watch but it's just not the story it's not the true story
1: the title, The Girl Puzzle, comes from an article that Nellie Bly herself wrote. Uh, what did she intend by that? And what does it signify for you that caused you to choose it as your title? So, so The Girl Puzzle was her very first published article. And she
0: got her job um, because she responded. She wrote a letter to the editor in response to a column where a father was... Um, Complaining or waxing lyrical about what could he do with his daughters? He had, I think, five daughters, and they weren't good for anything. They couldn't get jobs, um, so how was he supposed to support all these daughters he'd unfortunately had? And so Nellie wrote this letter in anger and irritation, and the editor, you know, saw something in it and called her in. And her first article was a really a call for women to be, and she was twenty one at this point a call for girls to be given opportunities, to be allowed to be more than teachers and or or sewing, you know, seamstresses to be, you know, for the world to be opened up and them to be given opportunities because there were girls and there was work that needed to be done. And that, that, that was the puzzle that was presenting itself. So that was her choice. And I liked it as a title because, obviously, because it was her first article because I felt that the story of what would happen to Dorothy was a puzzle really you know what was the best to do for this girl who you know had had no family and had had this difficult start in life so that was a puzzle but also I think you know sometimes being a girl is a puzzle you know how do you uh balance how do you balance do you want to work can you do you have to work do you want to have children can you have children can you do both should you do both um all of those things. And, and, you know, it was a puzzle for Nelly to have a career and to get the career that she wanted. And then it wasn't even maybe all that she did want. And she wanted, you know, then she did marry this very rich man. And so, you know, life is a puzzle. So that was kind of why it appealed to me, if that makes sense.
1: Yes, it does. I mean, she herself is kind of a puzzle <laughs> in a way. <laughs> yeah. What would you like readers to take away from the girl puzzle? Um I hope they, you know, I hope more people will know
0: Nellie Bly than they did before because I think, you know, I think she was an awesome person and I think um like you said there are uh ways that we've moved on a great deal and ways that we haven't and I think it's very important for modern day, you know, I, I wrote the dedication was to my daughter who's just turned 14 and I think that um people need to remember how short a time it has been since women have had the opportunities that we have now. So I would like that to stand out. I, I it isn't immigrant, you know, there is a big emphasis on the amount of immigration, um, the problem that, you know, the amount of immigrants that were in the asylum. So I think that's an interesting um, area that I'd like people to take away. And um, I hope they just enjoy it as a as a story and, you know, see that a person who might be famous for one thing still has a whole other life and a whole baggage from before and things that happen after. and So those things.
1: This book hasn't been out very long, uh, just a month or two. And do you already have a new novel underway? I'm researching. So I haven't written a stitch for a while, which is making me
0: feel slightly peculiar. (laughs) I really kind of need to, but I need to, you know, sometimes, or for me anyway, I do the research and then there comes a point where I think, right, that's, this is where I'll begin. And I know that then I still have to do other research, but it will follow. So I'm kind of waiting for that point. I'm going to write a series, I think, set in the French Revolution. So, it's you know, I've hopped centuries again, changed countries again. I don't know why I do this to myself, but that's that's what I'm doing. So I'm hoping to start writing it in
1: September when my kids go back to school. Sounds great. I wish you all success. Thank you so much for sharing (laughs) your time with us today. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I hope, uh, I'm glad you liked the novel. And thank you for listening to our podcast. Once again, I am C.P. Leslie, the host of New Books and Historical Fiction, a podcast channel in the New Books Network. And today I've been talking with Kate Braithwaite about the girl puzzle. Find out more about her at www.kate-braithwaite.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast and would like to discuss it further with me and other New Books Network listeners, please join us on Shuffle. Shuffle is an ad-free, invite-only network focused on the creative community. As NBN listeners, you can get special access to conversations with a dynamic community of writers and literary enthusiasts. Sign up by going to www.shuffle.do slash nbn slash join. Like us on Facebook, search for NB Historical Fiction, and follow us on Twitter at NewBooks Histfic. If you do, you'll see each time we post a new interview. You can find out more about me and my books at www.cplesley.com where I upload expanded posts about the interviews and in general discuss history, historical fiction, and the rapidly changing publishing industry. Goodbye until my next conversation about historical fiction on the New Books Network.